You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now, a message from Cyberbit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need Cyberbit. Cyberbit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills. All using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. Cyberbit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live-fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. Liberty Life sustains an attempt at data extortion. In separate operations, international police agencies cooperate against Rex Mundi, Black Hand, and the remnants of Silk Road. We've got some cyber espionage notes. North Korean hacking resumes. More clipboard hijacking afflicts cryptocurrency wallets. Security concerns tighten around ZTE and Huawei. And Pulp Fiction from Russia with, if not quite love and at least intense activity, and also from the Clinton Library. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Monday, June 18, 2018. South Africa-based insurer Liberty Life reported Saturday that it had sustained a breach by unauthorized parties. It's an extortion play under a veneer of freelance penetration testing. Liberty, which says it regained control of its systems by Sunday, said of the attack, quote, An external party claims to have seized data from us, has alerted us to potential vulnerabilities in our systems, and has requested compensation for this, end quote. Reports say the hackers claim to have obtained sensitive data about top clients, which they intend to release if their extortion demands aren't met. Liberty denies early reports that it was negotiating payment with the attackers. Note that this isn't a ransomware case. Liberty's data hasn't been encrypted and rendered unavailable. Instead, the hackers are threatening to release the data publicly if they're not paid. Liberty now also faces the risk of being fined for breaching the Protection of Personal Information Act, which is administered by that country's information regulator. Thus, regulatory risk accompanies financial and reputational risk. The Liberty incident is reminiscent of one last year that's just been rolled up with arrests by a multinational law enforcement effort. Europol has arrested five alleged members of the Rex Mundi cybercrime gang. The operation was an international one, with participation by the French National Police, the UK Metropolitan Police, and the Royal Thai Police. Rex Mundi overreached itself last year with a data extortion attempt during the hack of an unnamed British company. A francophone member of Rex Mundi tugged on Superman's cape by calling Europol to demand a 580,000 euro ransom in Bitcoin for non-disclosure of the customer data stolen, or alternatively, more than 825,000 euros for information on how Rex Mundi compromised the firm's systems. 
Researchers at security firms F5 and Lorica report substantial cyber espionage activity targeting last week's Trump-Kim summit, most of it from Russia, which obviously has an intelligence interest in the negotiations. The New York Times reports that U.S. Cyber Command has received and is using authorities to conduct offensive cyber operations. The operational template is thought to be drawn from that used against the Islamic State. But Pyongyang, as many have had occasion to note, hasn't been idle either. U.S. CERT warns that DPRK hackers are back, with the hidden Cobra threat group deploying typeframe malware in its distribution of remote-access Trojans. There are some steps an enterprise can take to protect itself from typeframe. As Plixer's Director of Audit and Compliance, Justin Jett, pointed out to us in an email, typeframe uses a set of known IP addresses. These are identified in the U.S. CERT report, and blacklisting those IP addresses is not a bad place to start. Bitcoin and Ethereum investors have been hit with another round of wallet looting. According to Kihu360, the technique is the familiar one of clipboard hijacking. They get your clipboard, and from that they get your wallet's address. These addresses being too complicated to be conveniently typed afresh each time they're used. French authorities have taken down the Black Hand dark web market. Black Hand specialized in selling both contraband, like drugs and weapons, but also stolen databases, banking data, and bogus documents. The main administrator and several other people are now in custody. Alleged Silk Road collaborator Variety Jones, whose actual name is Roger Thomas Clark, has been extradited to the U.S. from Thailand, to face charges related to the now-defunct dark web market once run by the dread pirate Roberts, a.k.a. Ross Ulbricht. Mr. Clark, who had famously boasted that the authorities had nothing on him, will now have an opportunity to try that confident assessment in an American court. The U.S. Senate is expected to take up ZTE's lifeline this week, deliberating whether to withdraw it on security grounds. Congress is believed interested in taking on Huawei next. There appears to be considerable bipartisan support building for a ban on both companies' products. Huawei is also facing security worries in Australia, where the company may find itself excluded by the government from participation in that country's impending 5G build-out. Huawei is the world's third-largest manufacturer of smartphones, trailing only Samsung and Apple, and a leader in 5G technology. The Australian Broadcasting Corporation has an account of why Australia is so skittish about Huawei. Their concerns seem to derive from the difficult experience another of the Five Eyes, the United Kingdom, had when British Telecom concluded a major deal with Huawei in 2005. The experience is believed to have been an unhappy one from the point of view of infrastructure security. ABC, reading between the heavily redacted lines of a GCHQ report on Chinese exploitation, of the BT-Huawei connection, thinks Australia has received sufficient warning from its British partners to fight shy of any major engagement with Huawei. The impresario who's serving as the public face of the Russian online service USA Really, Alexander Malkevich, is busily disporting himself in Washington. He showed up outside the White House on Flag Day last week, intending to lead some sort of demonstration for which few, alas, showed up, but he seems undeterred. He's come to, quote, test the limits of American freedom, end quote, 
doing so by, among other measures, sporting a variety of legible T-shirts. One had the Russian language equivalent of effing morons displayed below a picture of the Russian foreign minister wearing a disdainful expression, and renting a co-working space near the executive mansion. The co-working space didn't work out. WeWork gave Mr. Malkevich the heave-ho just two hours after he entered the building, which is probably some sort of record. Foreign policy suggests that Mr. Malkevich is either a troll or a bumbling self-promoter. Some of his outlet's offerings are from a sub-tabloid level of journalism. One in particular, quote, man served his friend's tacos made from his severed limb, end quote, has drawn particular comment. He's not without some credentials. He is, for one thing, a member of the Civic Chamber of the Russian Federation, a group that advises the Duma on media policy and other matters. His USA Really venture is backed by funds from the Federal News Agency, a Russian outfit connected to the Internet Research Agency, the now notorious St. Petersburg Troll Farm. Whether Mr. Malkevich is a forward-deployed troll, a hyperactive hambone, or, perhaps most likely, a mix of the two, well, welcome to the Beltway, sir. Hyperactive hambones often enjoy a good run thereabouts. And finally, people are reviewing the latest thriller, out just in time for beach reading. This one is a big summer novel co-authored by James Peterson and former President Bill Clinton. It's called The President is Missing, and it's all about international cyber attacks and so forth. We haven't read it yet because we haven't gone on vacation yet, but our editor swears that if the suits hire him an assistant... He'll schlep a copy with him the next time he goes to North Point State Park in Edgemere, his favorite relaxation spot, and then he'll tell us about it. As far as we can tell from reviews in Ars Technica, The Atlantic, and Errata Security, the book deals with the harem-scarum adventures of a U.S. president, former governor of a southern state, John Duncan by name but Mary Sue by inspiration, who disappears to fight Bosnian terrorists who've installed a wiper malware called Dark Age in every computer in the U.S. Dark Age is President Mary Sue's MacGuffin. Anywho, apparently, after a lot of freelancing gunplay organized from the Prexy's unacknowledged and off-the-book safe house somewhere in Virginia, the president defeats the terrorists and then delivers a speech to a joint session of Congress to celebrate the nation's deliverance and also offer his thoughts on gun control and the minimum wage. So we'll let you know what we think, but if that ain't policy, we don't know Arkansas. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. 
Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. And I'm pleased to be joined once again by Malek Ben-Salem. She's the Senior R&D Manager for Security at Accenture Labs, and she's also a New America Cybersecurity Fellow. Malek, welcome back. You know, I, I have a lot of interest in uh, in my voice. It's uh, how I make a living. And uh, you're going to share some, some, um, some research today about people using the forgery of voices and the security implications that might come with that. It's really concerning. Um... You know, with the wide use of digital assistance, we are relying on our voice to interact with with digital systems, right? You know, with Apple, Siri, and Microsoft's Cortana, and Amazon's Alexa. Um, and with that voice, a lot of companies now are considering offering their own services uh, through those digital assistants. For instance, uh, a bank may offer... Uh, a service where you can access your banking account by talking to Alexa, which can talk to your banking account. Uh, So what that means is that they have to build in voice authentication uh, using those digital assistants. The problem is because our voices are now out there, um, you know, especially your voice, (laughs) where you you know... (laughs) Anybody can get access to it, right? Um, And with some new developments by startups like Voicery and Lyrebird, which have developed some software to actually synthesize your own voice by giving it a sample of your your voice, like a one-minute sample of your recording, and some sample text, they're able to synthesize and create an audio file reading that text with your own voice. So that creates several security problems, right? If we're relying on our voice to authenticate, to access certain accounts, and now that voice can be forged, then there's a huge risk to accessing those services. Um, The risk is even bigger if we know that, you know, companies like Apple and uh, Google and Microsoft are recording voices from hundreds of millions of people, and they're storing them for, you know, one year, 18 months, etc. So any breach to that type of data uh, would let the attackers, would give them an opportunity to impersonate hundreds of millions of people. Obviously, there are other attacks that would result from this type of software that can forge voices. And by the way, the companies that created the software, you know, had the best intentions in mind. Uh, They created the software so that they can help people who have lost their voice recover it, right? Create software for those people uh, that can let them interact with with their environment. But then this type of software can be misused. 
um, another type of attack is exactly spear phishing. You know, we, we're used to spear phishing through email, but now um, the, this would make spear phishing through voicemail very believable, and people may fall for it. And then yet another attack is uh, disinformation and blackmail. Malicious actors could also fool a large group of people with this technology by generating fake audio or video uh, that can be used as blackmail uh, for uh, famous people, celebrities, or world leaders. One could think of you know, solutions where honest audio or video creators could embed a digital watermark into this, the media that they create, um, but that's no guarantee that everyone will follow the same rules. Also, it's hard to independently tell whether a video or audio recording has been falsified. Um, so we'll have to basically rely on user awareness uh, to counter this type of attack, especially because it takes long to detect forgery. And fabricating statements by world leaders, for example, or publishing fake videos would create problems much, much faster then those audios or videos could be debunked. So again, we'll have to rely on user awareness to counter this type of attack. It's an interesting thing. Who becomes our trusted sources? It's, it seems like uh, that could be an ongoing challenge as we head forward. Malek Ben Salam, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Dave. Just for fun, I spent about five minutes training one of the systems that Malek described. To give it an idea of what my voice sounds like. Here's what it spit out for me. From the CyberWire studios at Datatribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Wednesday, May 30th, 2018. So, I guess that kind of sounds like me. I'm not going to be updating my resume anytime soon. Still, if there's one thing we can count on, this stuff is going to get better. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And that's the CyberWire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. And for professionals and cybersecurity leaders who want to stay abreast of this rapidly evolving field, sign up for CyberWire Pro. It'll save you time and keep you informed. Listen for us on your Alexa smart speaker, too. The CyberWire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Stefan Vaziri, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow.
And now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI.